Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, thank you again for the opportunity you've given us now to open the truth of your word. To study and understand, Father, just speak very clearly to us. May we understand, may we be challenged, Lord, in our faith. Uh, confronted, Lord, in things that need to change. Uh, Lord, I just, I just pray that you would just allow us to hear your voice. Uh, allow us, Father, just to um, be moved by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, as we study and understand that we could be, again, changed, Lord. Molded, shaped, transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going through just kind of a short sermon series on the Legacy Project. And as Bobby mentioned you just a few minutes ago, next Sunday is kind of our big day. We're going to ask you to make a commitment that Sunday and, and give a first fruit. And the sooner we can raise that money up front, the sooner we can begin construction. And so I pray you've been praying about that and thinking about that and, and asking the Lord to speak to you. And the whole reason we've gone through this series is to kind of put our hearts in the right frame of mind, uh, to put our minds in the right frame of mind so we can be prepared to give, to hear from the Lord. And so we've used several different words from Scripture to help us understand what giving ought to be and what it ought to look like for us. We've talked about being willing to give, giving generously, giving sacrificially. And one of the things that I've tried to do through this little series is say to you, certainly this is about money. We're talking about finances. We're talking about raising money to, to uh, expand our current facilities, build new children's space. It is about money, but it's so much more than just about money. We've been talking about how you ought to be generous in the way that you live as a believer, not simply with your money, but with all things. We've said you need to be sacrificial as a believer in the way you live, certainly with your money, but in all things. You need to be willing to serve the Lord and to give, certainly in your money, but with all things. And so we've kind of talked bigger picture about what the Lord should be doing and can be doing in our lives if we'll let Him. And so we've talked about willing, generous, sacrificially. Today we're going to talk about joyfully. And I intended, as I kind of prepared this uh, sermon series several weeks ago, to really kind of stay in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But as I've kind of joked with the first two services, you know, my idea and the Lord's idea were a little bit different when it kind of was said and done. And so I've kind of moved away from this idea of 2 Corinthians. I taught in 2 Corinthians 8 for the first couple of weeks, and I touched on it last week. I'm going to touch on it again this week because I want you to see it. But then we're going to move into kind of where the Lord has led me this morning to teach and to preach. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me just read it for you because I want to use this as a basis before we move forward. Uh, we, we don't have it on the screens, but you're certainly welcome to look on in your Bible. Or you can just listen to me read it. But I want you to listen to the words... <clears throat> Of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Remember, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. He's talking about the Macedonians. He's talking about their willingness to give, their willingness to sacrifice, even in the midst of their great poverty. And here's what Paul says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully. Now, I, I said in our other services, we don't usually in our context anymore use the word sow and reap. 
We use plant and harvest. And so to maybe kind of bring it in terms that we can understand it, especially if you're a little bit younger, what Paul is saying there is that if we plant sparingly, if we don't plant a lot, we're not going to harvest a lot. But if we're willing to plant a lot, we're going to be able to harvest a lot. And kind of the idea in our Christian walk is pretty simple. The, the, the more you put into your faith, the more you put into your walk, the more you put in your desire to know Christ, the more blessings you're going to receive from that. Now, this is not about financial blessings. This is not prosperity gospel. I think that's a false teaching. But I would say to you, Scripture teaches us that as we buy into Christ and love Him more and deepen our faith, we receive blessings from that. That's what Scripture teaches. And then verse 7, Paul says to us, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Remember, I've been saying for several weeks, you should be praying about this, trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord. Give as you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, we need to be willing to give, not because somebody's forcing us to or making us give. We ought to be joyful in the way we give. We ought to be cheerful in the way we give. And so I've said to you, I've made the comment over the last few weeks, that this decision to support the Legacy Project cannot be a financial decision for you. It has to be a spiritual decision. So to kind of help you understand the difference, if you're kind of making a financial decision, You'll give out of compulsion, and you may say something like this. We have to give. How much can we afford? Right? That's kind of a financial decision. But if you're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, the cheerful giver would say something like this. We have this privilege of giving. Lord, how much would you be willing for us to sacrifice? See the difference? Paul says we don't, we don't need to give begrudgingly. We don't need to be angry when we do it. We don't need to do it out of compulsion. We need to do it because we want to have joy, because we love the Lord, because of all the Lord has done for us. And so we've got this opportunity in this process to give to this project to further the kingdom of the Lord. That ought to bring you joy. Now my intent in, in this sermon series was to preach through 2 Corinthians 9. That was going to be kind of the fourth week this week, just before our giving Sunday next week, and I was going to preach on the idea of joy and a cheerful giver, and I wanted to read that to you because I think that's foundational to our understanding, but the Lord continued to lead me to the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, and I think you've already opened two Hebrews, we're going to look at just two verses this morning, and I want to think this morning about the idea of joy, but I want to think about the idea of joy as seen through the eyes of Christ. Like Christ is going to experience some joy in these verses in, in a situation that's very difficult for us to understand. And so I want to understand this idea of joy. And I pray in the process of the legacy project that you would make this decision with joy, remembering that all that Christ gave for you. Sometimes, I, I, I told the other services, sometimes I'm, I'm a little ashamed because I recognize and, and I try to understand all that Christ has done for me, all that he's given me. And by the way, we think about he's given us a salvation, which is just unbelievable. But, but, but even beyond salvation and eternity, the way you live your life. Now think about the peace that Christ has brought to you over the years. Think about the hope that Christ has given you. Think, think about the joy that you receive on a regular basis because of your walk with Christ. And sometimes I look at all that Jesus has, and I'm ashamed to say to you, I look at all that Jesus has given and all that Jesus has done, and I'm still stingy with what I want to give Him back. And so I want to, I want to think this morning about the joy of Christ 
and how it ought to pervade every part of our lives, and including our giving. So Hebrews chapter 12, just two verses, verses 1 and 2. We have them on the screen for you. You can follow along with us. Therefore, and we were always taught when there's a therefore, you have to see what it's there for. So we'll come back to that here in just a second. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Right? I think that's interesting. Sin isn't far away from us, right? It clings closely to us. You ever had the, the shirt when it's wintertime and it's got the static cling? It just clings to you, you know, you can't hardly get it off? Like sin clings to us. It stays close to us. And let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, here's, the, here's this, this word, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to look at joy this morning kind of through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And I want to understand scripturally and based on his example for us what true joy really looks like. So here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. Number one, true joy comes by receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. True joy comes by receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, now anytime I, I, I preach a sermon, I'm, I'm interested sometimes in kind of how the world views things. And there are lots of books on joy. There, there are lots of websites you can go read. There are lots of articles that people have written. But I was just curious kind of how the other side lives. And so I literally Googled, because for us we would say joy comes through Christ. And so I Googled and read articles written by atheists about joy. It's just very interesting. Very interesting perspective. And this is not a sermon about atheism and Christianity. And I would say they, they miss it on a lot of different levels. We would say, based on the Word of God and oftentimes our experience, that we can only receive true joy and peace and hope when we, we receive Christ and that forgiveness and eternal life and salvation through Him. And so we see this picture of true joy. We see this idea kind of, kind of wrapped up in these first two verses is that joy comes when we recognize Christ, when we recognize all Christ has given us, and we receive that forgiveness through Jesus. Now, in order for us to understand this, the, the writer of Hebrews kind of begins verse 1 with the word, Therefore. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, if you just picked up the Bible and you started in Hebrews 12.1, you wouldn't know who the great cloud of witnesses are. However, you don't have to do that. We can flip back. And so if you're looking in your Bibles and you see Hebrews chapter 11, many of you will be familiar with this passage of Scripture. This particular chapter, Hebrews 11, is called kind of the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame, because it lists out... All of these incredible saints of the Lord that accomplished great things for him over the years. And so Hebrews 11 talks about Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses. All, all these people that did incredible things. This is a, a great cloud of witnesses. And so what the writer says is, listen, because we've been surrounded by so many people that have done so many great things, we, we look to them as our example. We look to them and, and kind of emulate the way that they live. Because we've been surrounded by such a great cloud, let us throw off the sin and the weight that clings and let us run with endurance the race that Christ has set out before us. 
Right, so what the writer wants us to see is, listen, we need to look to these people. They're great examples. They live their lives for the Lord. God did great things for them. But verse 2 is even more important. Pull verse 2 up. But in addition to these people, we need to look to who? Jesus. So kind of wound up in these verses is, is, is this idea of, of trusting Christ, of following Christ, of seeking forgiveness through Christ, of experiencing joy because of all that Christ did for us. And so there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. The first is interesting to me. It's back to verse 1, if you'd pull that up. It talks about the idea of laying aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us. You know, it's interesting for us to think about sin as a weight. You ever <clears throat> known the person or met the person that was just burdened and weighed down by sin? You ever met that person? Maybe a little closer to home, have you ever been that person? I mean, like, like even right now, maybe you're weighed down. Maybe you're a believer, maybe you accepted Christ, but you've kind of gotten yourself in a place where you're struggling with a sin and it's <clears throat> weighing heavily upon you, you're, you're, you're burdened by it. It's interesting to me, sometimes we get so weighed down by sin that we're not able to accomplish the things the Lord wants us to accomplish. A couple of years ago, Philip and I had gone to, <coughs> excuse me, gone to Guatemala. We'd done kind of a vision trip down there. And just so you'll understand, anytime we, um, we send a team somewhere before we start a partnership somewhere in the world, we always send an advanced team down there to go through and to meet people and to look around and see if this is really viable for us, if we really can send people and do work. Philip and I were down there doing some work with Megan and Joe and looking at a, a specific community. And we got back on the plane in Guatemala City. And if you've ever traveled uh, anywhere, when it's time to get on the plane, you're ready to go home at that point. So we get on the plane and we're ready to go and they, they come over the little system and they kind of give the standard, you know, thanks for flying Delta and all the things they say. And then at some point, kind of real nonchalantly, they say, um, oh, by the way, they didn't say it like that, but that's kind of how it meant. Oh, by the way, this plane is um, too heavy and until eight people get off the plane, we're not leaving. That's what they told us. And I thought, well, they're not talking to me because I'm going home today. I am not getting off this plane. I'm looking around wondering who those eight people are going to be because I'm ready to go home. And so they, they sweeten the pot a little. We'll give you a voucher, you know, we'll give you a 500. And it ended up being about $800 is what they ended up giving people. And slowly but surely, eight people, I guess, got off the plane and left because they finally came back on. Hey, thanks. They're gone. We got their luggage off. We're back underway. We can take off. And we took off and everything was fine. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, there, there's obviously a weight limit for planes. I guess we kind of uh, instinctively knew that. But I just wondered what would have happened if they'd have taken off of that weight, I mean, would we not have been able to take off? Would we have skimmed the trees all the way home, you know, flown at 200 feet? Would we have gotten to 1,000 feet? I mean, I just thought it'd be, what would have happened? You know, I thought we, we get the fact that too much weight would have kept that plane from operating properly. Yet, on a, a kind of a different idea, our walk with Christ, sometimes we're confused and can't understand why the Lord is not using us, so we think, to our full potential when we're so weighed down with sin. You ever thought about that? Like the sin weighs us down and we can't understand why we're not doing things for the Lord. Like, man, I really wish God would use me. I don't know why he's not. Well, maybe it's the sin that's weighing you down, brother in Christ or sister in Christ. I can't understand why the Lord doesn't ever speak to me. You know, ever, well, maybe the sin that's in your life is keeping the Lord from using you the way he wants to use you. Maybe there's this kind of weight of sin clinging to you so closely. You know, we think about sin and, and the idea of salvation is when we pray to receive Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. That's true. Past, present, future. That's the blood of Christ upon us. We're forgiven of our sins. Right? So salvation is a set for us at that point. 
But as you live your life in Christ, believers even can still be marred in sin and can kind of get off track and get out of the will of God. And it kind of weighed us down. We're not able to do the things that Christ calls us to do. And so the, the writer of Hebrews says, look, look at Christ. Look at His example. Take all that weight. Lay it aside so you can accomplish the things the Lord wants you to accomplish. Right, back, back to point one. Pull, pull point one back up for us. Right, we, we get joy by receiving forgiveness, by forgiveness of these sins, by removing these sins, getting these sins out. That brings us joy. But then the second thing we see is we have to look at Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Pull verse 2 back up if you would for me, please. As we think about joy, looking to Jesus. I'm not going to go into any detail here because I'm going to get to this in just a few minutes, but I think this is fascinating. Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? so his, his, his idea, by the way, he initiated it. It's his call. He's in charge of it. Right? Who for, this, this next phrase is, is kind of mind-blowing. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Right, not, not the joy set before him, uh, and, or, and not, not that he found joy in spending time with friends, or uh, not that he found joy in eating a good meal, or, or not that he found joy in uh, going to the movies, or taking time off work, or going to see a football game. And, and none of those things are wrong, but that's not what Scripture says. It says it tell, instead, it tells us that Christ found joy enduring what? The cross. At his own death. Torture. Punishment, whatever word you his death that he experienced brought him joy. Now, there's a lot to be said about that. We're going to go into some detail, but I just want you to understand. Set that aside for a second. We're going to come back to it. There's no greater joy in our lives than peace and salvation through Jesus Christ, right? Because of what he accomplished, because he found joy in what he did, it ultimately brings us joy and hope and peace through salvation in him. So again, back to that first point. True joy comes when we receive that forgiveness through Christ, right? That's foundational for us to understand. So like if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would say to you, you're never going to experience true peace. You're never going to experience true joy. You may, you may experience some semblance of it that's kind of marred a little bit and, and confusing, but you're never going to sense that deep-seated peace and joy and hope until you accept and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first truth. Now here's the second thing I want you to see in this scripture, number two. True joy is seeing the bigger eternal picture. Right? True joy is seeing this bigger eternal picture. Right? The, the Bible tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Why was Jesus able to do that? Like, why would we use the word joy when we speak about the cross? Well, it certainly wasn't because Jesus was looking forward to the cross. Certainly wasn't because he was looking forward to the nails or the beating or the crown of thorns or the blood loss or the eventual death. It was simply because Jesus understood there was a bigger picture at play. Jesus understood there was something else out there beyond this moment that was crucial for him and crucial for us in our walk moving forward. That's what Jesus got. I, I read an interesting article this week about the internet. I was doing some searching on just kind of the big picture and understanding the big picture. And there's a lot of interesting articles out there. And this particular one was about the internet. 
and then kind of the craze of the internet and how the internet obviously is just everywhere now and um, you know there's just all sorts of things you can access and this is the amount of information and we've said this before I think but the amount of information that we have access to now is greater than at any other point in history like I would even argue, and I'm just, I'm just guessing out loud, I bet we have access to more information than all that, say, the, the 50 years ago and back had combined. Like if you combine all the information that people for the last 2,000 years had access to, I bet we got more information now than they had combined just because we have the Internet. And the article was about social media specifically, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I was just curious. I've done this in every service just for fun. If you have or use on some level Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, raise your hand. The vast majority of us, that's how it's been in the other services too. Yeah, almost. Now, if I'd asked that question 10 years ago, you wouldn't have known what I was talking about. That didn't ex- I don't think Facebook existed 10 years ago. It might have, but it was in its very new form if it did. Certainly people didn't use it. But the point of this article is interesting because it said a lot more people are getting information from social media now. So, so here's a stat that ought to scare you, I think. According to 2014 Pew Research, check this out. 60% of millennials get their news about politics from Facebook. That's extremely frightening to me. 60%. I don't know if that bodes well for the future, right? But a lot of people are getting their news from Facebook. Here's how the article read. On social media, you are exposed to people who are most like you with the same views and knowledge you already possess. Now, the reason that is, the article explains the reason is because all the people in your feed are your friends, aren't they? For the most part. The vast majority of the people on your Facebook feed are your friends. Same thing with Instagram. Same thing with Twitter for the most part. And so you've already surrounded yourself for the most part with people that are your friends that probably, since they're your friends, think kind of like you do, have the same sorts of opinions that you do. So you're already surrounded by people that possess the same view. Whatever, here's what the article says, whatever your opinion is, it's being justified over and over again online. And it feels like everyone agrees with you. Those who don't are less likely to pop up in your feed. I thought that was interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So the point of this article is, man, sometimes we may miss the bigger picture of what's really going on because we've surrounded ourselves with people that think just like us. We may miss a different perspective. We may miss a different idea. We may feel like everybody thinks just like we do, when in fact, not very many people do, just our friends. I thought that was an interesting article because we, we, we live in a world sometimes where it's more and more difficult, even with all the information we have, to see the big picture. And, and yet we see in, in this passage of Scripture that Christ was able to endure the suffering and the cross and the abuse only because he understood the big picture. But he understood that his death on the cross would lead to salvation for us. He understood that his death on the cross would lead him to sit at the right hand of the Father. He knew that his death on the cross would bring hope and peace to all that would believe. Right? But here's our problem. Go back to uh, verse 2, I think. Go back to verse 2. No, go back to verse 1, sorry. Our problem is we can't sometimes see the big picture because we're weighted down with sin. And they cling so closely to us, right? We, we kind of get into our own world and maybe we start feeling sorry for ourselves or we get so focused on our problems we can't quite see beyond those problems. We can't see that sometimes we walk through the trial because the Lord's preparing us for something else. 
We can't see sometimes that the difficulties we face are so that the Lord can refine within us something He wants to use later. We can't see sometimes that even though we're walking through these difficulties, there, there's a bigger picture at play. You know, I, I think about this church and we've called this the Legacy Project because so many people have served over the years and there's such a strong legacy in this church and we want to we continue that legacy to grow. But I thought about all the people that serve and have served and, and I don't know, the thousands of people over the years that have served at this church. And I thought, you know, uh, they probably served because they were dedicated to this church and to the Lord. Like I use an example uh, of my, my son's fourth grade class the last hour. Craig and Jessica uh, Mobley were in here. They're his teachers. They're in class now. They teach a fourth grade class. And this is the same for lots of ages, not just them, but I know about it because it's my son's class. Fourth grade. Their largest attendance this year was 26 kids. That's one class of only fourth graders. Now I promise you when they signed up, they didn't think, I can't wait to be in a room alone with 26 fourth graders. I'm not sure anybody really ever thinks that, right? They do it because they have to, maybe. And if you're a teacher, you do it every day. But that probably wasn't the way they started the process. People that sign up to go downstairs probably don't say, yeah, I just love the smell of dirty diapers. I just love seeing those things and changing them. And that's just really, nobody says that. Right? People don't go out and work at the youth and say, you know, I can't wait to deal with that middle school boy that has the attitude. I can't wait, man. That's what I'm looking forward to. We don't get into that because we want to deal with those difficulties. We get into it because we see a bigger picture, don't we? Like, I'm willing to change those diapers because I care enough about these kids. I want to teach them the things of Christ. I want them to grow up in a church where people love them and love the Lord. Like, I'm willing to endure this kid's attitude because he probably comes from a broken home and he needs somebody in his life that's willing to speak the truth of the gospel. I'm willing to sit in a room with 24 kids because I know that their hearts are on the line and they're of the age now that they're really considering faith and I want to do anything I can to pour into their lives so they can accept Christ and live for Him the rest of their lives. We, we see bigger pictures when we serve in those areas. We're, we're willing to deal and, and to, to endure those hardships simply because we see the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish. Right, we, we look at this project, right, and what we're trying to do and we think, you know, 18 months of giving... That's a difficult, a hard thing for us. But the bigger picture is, man, we've got another decade or two or three or four or 50 or 1,000 or whatever the Lord leads us to do to reach this community for Christ. We don't know how much longer we have. But however much longer He gives us, we need to use it for the sake of His kingdom. And if that means enduring something in the short term so we can achieve the bigger eternal picture, then to God be the glory. That's what we ought to be doing. And then the third truth, as we kind of run out of time a little bit this morning, the third truth I want you to see based on this passage of Scripture, number three, true joy is fulfilling God's call in your life even in difficult circumstances. True joy is fulfilling God's call in your life even in difficult circumstances. I want you to notice again verse 2, and I just want to kind of reiterate this point. I don't want you to miss it. Kind of the middle part of that verse, speaking about Christ, says who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now the cross for us, I've, I've kind of talked about this in the past, but I think it bears repeating. The cross for us is kind of a, a, a thing we use for decor. It's a reminder we put them up in our churches. And all these things are good, by the way. I bet every person in here has some sort of a cross at their house. Either a picture or an actual cross. I bet a lot of us have a t-shirt somewhere in our drawer that's got a cross on it. Some of us may have a hat that has a cross on it. We carry around Bibles with a cross on the outside of our Bible. All those things are good. 
We do that because it's a reminder of what Christ did. Just, just kind of a, a little teaching for a second, right? The crucifix, which has Jesus still on the cross, we don't use that because we celebrate that Jesus has come off the cross, has risen from the dead, and has ascended into heaven. So the, the empty cross for the evangelical church is a reminder of the death, burial, and then resurrection of Christ. And so we use it to remind us. And those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was interesting to me. I read a book several years ago by John Stott called The Cross of Christ. It's just a fantastic book. If you like theology, you ought to read that book. But in that book, he talks about the idea of the cross used for decor now, which is a good thing and a good reminder. But to the first century church, to Jesus and people that lived with Jesus, the cross was an instrument of torture, death, pain, Suffering. An example that I've never forgotten in this book is he said it'd be the same thing as us wearing around necklaces with little electric chairs hanging from them. That'd be bizarre if I came to church and had an electric chair on my necklace. It'd be strange. Yeah, that's what we do with the cross. And so when we read this passage of Scripture that Jesus endured the cross, we're reminded of the suffering he went through. And if you're like me, the first thing that I think about is the suffering of the, the physical death that he endured. I think about the nails. I think about the, the scars and the beatings on his back. I think about the crown of thorns. I think about the dehydration, the blood loss, the, the physical pain, which are all very real and, and brutal and hard for us even to imagine. But I would say to you, I think the physical pain Christ endured was kind of a minuscule amount compared to the emotional and especially spiritual pain he endured. Because you remember the Bible talks about him taking kind of the weight of the world, the, the sin of the world upon him. We don't exactly know what that means. But if you're like me, when you, when you sin uh, and you feel bad about what you've done and, and you want to repent, there's this guilt and, and sorrow that goes through your mind as you do this. I, imagine if you had to take on just all the sins of the people just in this church, how painful that would be for you. Imagine if you took on all the sins of the people of LaGrange. Like Jesus took on all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. We can't imagine the difficulty that he must have faced. But even in the midst of this great difficulty, even in the midst of what he was going to have to endure, the Bible says he found joy. I think that's just unbelievable. Like how do you find joy understanding what you were about to endure? And that's the word the Bible uses. Despising the shame. Why? Because he knew that sometimes we have to walk through difficult moments to accomplish the will of the Lord in our lives. And so Christ came to this place in his heart, a place that the Lord actually requires and asks us to come to as well. He came to this place of realization and acknowledgement where he says, listen to God, my Father in heaven, not my will be done, but your will be done. I wonder sometimes, you know, we talk about getting to heaven and the things we want to see and the questions we want to ask. I often wonder if, if when we get to heaven, if God's going to show us kind of His perfect plan for our lives, like what He desired for us to do. And I just wonder, I just can speak for me, I just wonder if, if at some point I'll get up there and God said, listen, I, Adam, I really wanted you to accomplish this, and this was a purpose, and this was a, a plan for your life, but because you were afraid and unable to get past kind of this moment in your life, you missed this incredible blessing of how I wanted to use you. Like, I just wonder what we're missing because we come to the place where we're not willing to endure the difficulty. We're not willing to walk through the fire. We're not willing to walk through the pain. We take a short-term gain and it turns into a long-term 
loss. You know, I think about those people that started this church all those years ago, those 17 or 18 people under the carport. And the Scots, Linda and Harold Scott, whose carport it was, by the way, they live about a, a mile from here over on Scott Road. They were here in our first service at 8.30. I just think about those people that started the church all those years ago, those 17, 18 people. And, and I know just from the stories that I've been told and, and, and kind of understanding what church life is like, I know for 50 years there was a, a lot of things that had to happen. A lot of hard work, a lot of struggle, a lot of disappointment, frankly, over the years. And I just think, what if, what if those 17 people had sat in that carport? And of course, nobody can see the future. But what if they looked ahead and said, you know what? We're just not really willing to go through that difficulty. We just want to stay here. We like these people that are under this carport. It's comfortable for us. It's easy for us. Let's just continue to meet here and not really do anything in the future to reach this community for Christ. Can you imagine the thousands of lives that would not have been touched by this church? Can you imagine all the ways in which God has used their faithfulness over the years? Praise the Lord, they didn't say that. They said instead, you know what, it might not be easy and we don't quite know what the future holds, but we're going to keep pushing forward. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to work. We're going to give for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 50 years later, we had almost 1,000 people at our anniversary services simply because of the faithfulness of this small group of people trusting the Lord, seeing the big picture, walking through the fire, even in the difficulties, for His honor and for His glory. And that's my prayer for this generation. That's my prayer for this church. That we would be willing whatever it takes to continue to push forward so the gospel of Christ can be made known here and all around the world. I received a little note that I want to read as I finish up this morning. Ken and Phyllis Bruce, they're in our 930 service. Many of you know them. They've been here for so many years. Faithful, faithful people to this church. They work down in our preschool department. And they're greeters. They're kind of at the door when the kids walk in. And they handed me the note stapled to a little, it looks almost like a homemade envelope. It's a little yellow envelope with some kids writing on it. And it said, this gift was presented to Ken by two of our boys in church. It was given in love and all that they had in their possessions. They gave $2.32 for the building fund. Ken and I feel like God can use this special gift just like the widows might and do great things with $2.32 for our building. This gift from our children melts our hearts. You know, sometimes I wish I had the faith of a child. I mean, $2.32, we're thinking, what's two bucks? I probably got that laying in the floorboard of my car, right? But for a young boy, $2.32 is a lot of money. That's a lot of pieces of gum. That's some candy bars. That's a little toy he saw at the dollar store that he wants to buy. And for them to be willing to give that and to sacrifice that may, may seem kind of small and insignificant to us. But in the Lord's eyes, when we sacrifice all that we have, it brings him great honor. And he's glorified. And so I, I just want to encourage you. We, we've got one more week. And I, I pray you've been praying through this and thinking through this and, and discussing this with your family. I pray that you come to this point next week where you're willing to give sacrificially and, and generously and, and, and joyfully, how, however the Lord leads you to do that. But I, I pray that when you do it, you give it in such a way that God receives honor and glory. Not because somebody's forcing you to or making, but because you recognize the sacrifices of Christ. You remember all Christ has done for you. 
you're willing to give him back just a portion for the sake of his kingdom. And when you do that, here's the beautiful part, he receives honor and glory and you receive great joy. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words you've given us, Lord, for, for the reminder of the joy of Christ set before us, Lord, even in his suffering, even in his pain, Father, we understand the, the joy of forgiveness. We, we understand the joy of, of understanding and seeing the big picture. And even the joy of sacrificing, Father, and, and, and walking through difficulties for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would certainly apply this to our capital campaign, but, but really more importantly, we'd apply it to our lives, Father. May, may we find joy in all things, even the difficult moments, because we know it's for the sake of your kingdom, Father. Just direct us, encourage us, strengthen us, Father. May, may we trust you more and more. May we walk in faith more and more. And in the things that we say, Father, the, the thoughts that we have, our actions, our attitudes, our desires, may those things bring you honor and glory, and, and may our service and dedication to you bring us great joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand. It's an opportunity for you to respond. The altar is open. You can certainly come and pray. You can, you can speak to me, but it's a chance for you to respond as we sing together this morning. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.